0: Researching the topic of suppressed energy and propulsion technologies has been a fascination of mine for well over a decade now. Early on in my awakening journey, I first dove into Big Pharma, and digging into that history showed me that globalist names like Rockefeller and Carnegie were instrumental in setting up that system in the early 1900s. This rabbit hole then led me into looking at the monetary system and the Federal Reserve creation in 1913, since the same names and families were also involved in the US central banking. And as the journey progressed, I found the same oil barren banking families involved in suppressing free energy inventions in the early 20th century as well. And it makes sense. These globalist groups had huge investments in centralized energy systems, like using oil and gas, power lines, refineries, etc. Cheap, efficient energy generation would threaten their multi trillion dollar industries. So, over the last century, there's been a massive effort by the military industrial complex and greedy people to suppress and hide inventors and their disruptive inventions. Not just advanced energy generation means, but also suppressing advanced propulsion systems like manipulating gravity with electricity. Over the course of my digging, I came across the Searle Effect Generator, invented by Professor John Searle a few decades ago. An incredibly efficient, decentralized, free energy device. Granted, calling it free energy is sort of a misnomer because it takes time, money, and effort to develop these concepts and devices. So it's better to call them over-unity devices, meaning once you get them going, they can create more electricity than it takes to run them. We're told this is impossible because it breaks the laws of physics, but the problem is that these laws we think are immutable are the inventions of man, much of which are based on wrong assumptions and flawed foundations of understanding. When I came across the Searle Effect Generator, a gentleman by the name of Jason Verbelli came across my radar. He actually works at a company that is called SEG Magnetics Inc, based in Southern California, that is working to continue the work of John Searle and develop Searle Effect Generators. His work into explaining alternative energy technologies and deconstructing falsehoods in mainstream science fascinated me. Lo and behold, we got to talking recently and I invited him to have a recorded conversation and he was more than happy to. So in this podcast, we dive into his work related to the S.E.G., the free energy topic in general, and discuss quite a few misunderstandings in standard model physics, like thermodynamics and Einsteinian relativity theories. As always, if you would like to support this podcast, you can do so by subscribing on Locals, Subscribestar, Substack, or Patreon for just a few bucks per month. Each of those platforms will be listed down below, and your help in bringing this content to the people is greatly appreciated. Now for episode 22 of the Conspiracy Analytica podcast, Free Energy and Problems with Physics with Jason Verbelli. Mr. Verbelli. Man, it's an honor to have you on here. I can't even remember when I first came across your work. I know it was years ago though, and I was studying free energy technology, came across the Searle device, And somehow I think I came across maybe your YouTube channel or some videos you were doing and the way you were explaining the issues of mainstream science, explaining these alternative ideas of physics, I was fascinated and it's an honor to have you on here chatting through this podcast. So how are things going, man?
1: Doing very well here in uh, sunny San Diego, Uh, keeping moving on this technology, alternative energy technology. i like to say rather than free energy because kind of a uh,
0: misnomer. Yeah. It's not free but... Free
1: around us, but it costs money to harvest it. So yes, yeah. quality of it. So uh, yeah, that's what we are focusing on here at S E G magnetics incorporated in San Diego. And uh, we are rebuilding what a man named professor John Searle achieved decades ago. So in a professional environment, we are validating his claims step-by-step uh, which then justifies the next step. So everything that we have done so far has yielded results and justified the next level of uh, support. So what we are doing now is uh, I am personally making a bunch of magnets as John Searle originally did with his modified magnetizer. So we have a lot of uh, work since 2010, building this facility up and things are just going fantastically. We could use some more support, but, uh, Uh, we move forward regardless.
0: Yeah, of course, because small startups working with this kind of technology, they're not going to get support from the economic complex or industrial complex or the establishment, whatever you want to call it. So kind of got to do it grassroots and bootstrap everything. So I want to get into discussing the Searle device, discussing these sorts of alternative theories of physics and energy and all that sort of stuff. But first, for people out there unfamiliar with you, your background, how did you get into, how did you get into all this? How did you get connected with SCG Magnetics and what's your background in physics?
1: First, I got involved by wanting a better way of living, sick of paying for bills like everybody else. And there's got to be a better way. So looking into... Uh, you know, people like Dr. Stephen Greer and the Disclosure Project is where I first started off in the journey and then uh, branched my way into all these other people making these outlandish claims. And they are either the most important thing of humanity or a complete hoax and nonsense. So getting out of my armchair and doing actual research meeting with people, shaking their hand, looking them in their eye and scrutinizing them for real. You learn to sort the wheat from the chaff and maybe 80% or more are chaff. So you have to search for those diamonds in the rough. You got to polish the diamonds off too, because there's a lot of misconceptions too. So I got involved with this advocating for, uh, different alternative energy technologies. And I found professor John Searle's uh, videos and claims and experiments with Fernando Morris building this homopolar motor and this demonstration mock-up. You spin these magnets and they keep on spinning because it's plugged into a wall socket. And, uh, this is displaying the characteristics of the design of this alternative energy device that ultimately does not need to be plugged into the wall socket. So, trying to invalidate the claims, I validated it more and more. So I'm saying, okay, if this is for real, it deserves some real dedication. Uh, Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence and acquiring that extraordinary evidence sometimes requires extraordinary funding and support and effort. So uh, I got off my butt moved away from my family and friends from the San Francisco Bay Area to San Diego here, and then dedicated myself fully to this endeavor to try to build it up and uh, and validate it on a larger scale for others. My background in the science is School of Hard Knocks. Uh, I wasn't classically taught in a lot of these things, but was taken under the wing of professionals in electrical engineering and physics and people who had degrees. And uh, they trained me for... Uh, almost 15 years now. So that's where I didn't get it from a school. I got it from real hands-on training, doing things in a lab and a shop, experimenting, hurting myself, making more mistakes than, uh, than solutions and learning what not to do. But that's apparently, uh, how the originators did it as well. So, uh, Then I started doing online university stuff like through the YouTube universities, watching documentaries, and then just trying to educate myself and display that and apply it to my own life. Uh, The other technologies uh, are beneficial that I've looked into, but the SEG and John Searle's claims seem to bring everything together into one device and uh, I think that is the most beneficial to focus on because right now we're living like the Flintstones and we could be living more uh, like the Jetsons, but without the uh, the button pushing.
0: Yeah. yeah, for sure. Every time I have to stop at a gas station and fill up my gas tank or every time I play for a plane ticket and fly on one of those vacuum sealed rocket propelled tubes, it just pains me inside because I know society could be living so much beyond that and one of the biggest hangups in getting us there is just simply people's consciousness. people understanding that these sorts of things are possible. The things we're learning in universities and colleges are not wrong but incomplete and based on flawed foundations. And some
1: of them some of them are completely wrong. Uh, true. Yeah, very true. I dropped my degree in psychology, which I was initially taking. I had six years of that. And then I wanted to focus more on physics and uh, engineering. But I was seeing school just wasn't teaching the right information. Uh, They would have things in textbooks that were contradictory. So I'd raise my hand a lot. And yes, that is a correct point. But we have a curriculum we got to stick to. Yeah. So it disgust me. So I left uh, the school because we have a. A school system now, not an education system. And I'd rather focus on proper
0: fundamentals. Indeed, teaching you what to think, not how to think. And the school of hard knocks is sometimes the best education there is. And you get made fun of for it, you get ridiculed for it. But honestly, I mean, most of the mo- most of the brilliant, most genius minds throughout history were the ones actually experiencing and working with their hands and not learning and being told what to think from proper universities but uh what i mean one of the things that first kind of connected started connecting all the dots for me is looking at some of the big industrialist families of the early 1900s like the rockefellers and carnegies and on one hand here they are making loads of money off fossil fuels oil copper wires trains and things like that and on the other hand here they are funding universities
1: it's a it's a giant uh racket really and it's a tradition of nepotism and it's created this idiocracy of groupthink where the world now accepts ideas that are mutually exclusive to reality and they are wasting our tax dollars on wild goose chases to continue to promote this stuff and subvert the uh, uh, information that could challenge it anything that can be challenged they might not necessarily peer review uh, you know, Jeffrey Epstein was a big a part of the Nobel Society and peer review process, as yeah. was Maxwell's father Owned scientific journals. And they uh, put the the kibosh on a lot of other people's studies. So if you weren't part of their group then no peer review for you.
0: Wasting tax dollars on wild goose chases. I kind of feel that way with CERN and nuclear fusion.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's the same thing. Uh, the, that's the joke is that they're just 50 years away again or still with the nuclear fusion. Uh, CERN, it's like they, they just want to build more and more colliders. But the illusion of the particle accelerator effect is that you're not going to be able to propel a particle faster than the velocity of light that they want because they are doing it inside of a closed chamber like a hollow donut. So the walls of that chamber are re-emitting the energy on the contained particles that they are trying to accelerate, which then puts resistance on those particles, which then they uh, serve the illusion that the particles itself are gaining mass with acceleration, Uh, but it's not. They're misapplying that logic of a closed chamber to the open cosmos and then... uh, insisting that their way is the only way so they need to build it bigger in order to get more results closer and closer to what they want it's an it's an asymptotic it's never going to reach what they what they want because they're doing it wrong so the the cern the fusion the dark matter uh the oh dark matter that one always makes me laugh it's yeah it's uh misconceptions and wasting tax dollars it's either gross negligence or purposeful deception and fraud there's no in between.
0: Yeah, when it comes to CERN, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories out there about it. I don't really resonate with a lot of the those conspiracies. I just think it's a bunch of scientists who are over-obsessed with the standard model of physics, and they can't get outside of that because they want to keep getting their grant money. And exactly. uh, I actually had a I had a scientist from CERN email me, I think it was earlier last year, because I was going on some rants in my videos about CERN. And he basically confirmed that. He's like, yeah, it's just a bunch of scientists who want to keep getting grant money. So they're going to continue on their wild goose chase. And there's
1: got books on this stuff, man. Is Alexander Unziker. He's a really good author. Uh, he wrote both of these books The Higgs Fake and uh, Bankrupting Physics, uh, you know, How the Particle Physics Community Fooled the Nobel Society. And there's just a different way of looking at these same scenarios with different frameworks of math which yield the same predictions and solutions as the other models but in a more simplistic method so you can interpret the same scenarios and the same evidence and data and observations but with a different interpretation and when you yield that's the whole point of occam's razor and the point of science itself science is a journey to discover and to gain knowledge uh and if one model can Yield the same predictions and solutions as another model, but in an easier way, then you have to abandon the other model, which is more extraneous and adopt the simpler solution. But that's not what is being done now. They want to continue reaping their grant money to continue outdated ways of thinking for things that just do not exist, that are mathematical artifices that work out on paper, but they're misinterpreting the actual scenario in reality.
0: Totally. Great way to put it. Science has become more of a religion or a cult than an actual fact-finding process these days. So I want to get into talking about the Searle device. But while we're on this subject, let's discuss some, shall we say, flawed foundations or misunderstandings of current mainstream science. Two things I want to touch on that I know you're quite familiar with. I was going over some of your PDFs a couple of weeks back and I love how you described the issues with these two things. One is the so-called laws of thermodynamics, and the other one being the uh, Einsteinian relativity theories. So let's start with thermodynamics. What are the issues there? Thermodynamics is one of the most sound,
1: stable, uh, real laws that we have that can judge the rest of reality and physicality within 3D Euclidean space. But the problems with understanding thermodynamics is something called Kirchhoff's law and thermal emission and blackbody radiation. There's this brilliant scientist named Dr. Pierre-Marie Robitaille. Love Robitaille. All right. So yeah. he, he helped develop MRI and set the world record for the highest magnetic field back in like 1998 and at that time, the scientific community said that that intensity of Gauss and magnetic field would fry people's brains if you put them in that machine, They'll you'll kill them. He said, no, there's a flaw in the math and the foundation of the theory. The, the whole law of thermal emission is wrong. The, there's things called intensive and extensive properties. And if one side of an equation is extensive, the other side must be. But Kirchhoff's law violates that which is a violation of thermodynamics. So people's understanding of thermodynamics is flawed, but the actual laws are quite stable. So the second law of thermodynamics is what people have an issue with uh, as it pertains to closed systems, like perpetual motion machines. You can't get more out than what you put in. Of course, fill a glass with water. You can only pour out as much water as you put in it, right? Charge a battery, you can only drain it with as much energy, right? But what but isn't, happens-
0: Isn't our universe an open system, though? Thank you. Yes. So what happens
1: if you're standing outside with that uh, glass of water during a rainstorm? Then the more that you pour out, the the uh, surrounding environment can contribute to that glass more than what you put in openly. And at that point, it's no longer a closed system. Second law of thermodynamics only applies to closed systems. Neg, uh, There's- uh, Entropy describes the disorder of a closed system. Neg-entropy and syntropy describes the order of a closed system. But everything in the universe wants to tend to disorder uh, unless you can consciously engineer that order. Because as Newton said, something in uniform motion will maintain its uniform motion uh, unless acted upon by an outside force. So if you build something coherently, when when you start that up, it will maintain that baseline of coherence once it's in operation at a constant. So most machines that we have are not perfectly balanced down to the atom or down. You know, it's they throw things together. It loses more electrons than it gains. It heats up. It bogs down. It wears out. Uh, John Searle developed a method of bringing in new electrons as old ones leave. All electricity known is like shedding electrons until you lose them, or like Nikola Tesla, you can jiggle them in place, the existing electrons there, AC. John Searle figured out a way to bring in new electrons as old one leaves in a wave-like manner. So it's a completely different method of doing things that abides by the first law of thermodynamics in that the energy is conserved, the energy you're harvesting has to come from somewhere, but in this case, it's coming from the surroundings that we take for granted as temperature. Heat and temperature are two different things. Temperature is the measure of all the surrounding energy. So when you're stealing radiation and you're harvesting that from around you, now you have less, or- that less disorder around you because you're converting it to something ordered. So then the temperature drops in proportion. That kinetic energy is depleted, but then is recharged by the sun and the ambient of atomic energy from the earth and everything. So you have this open cycle of energy, of harvesting and using, depleting, recharging. Harvesting, using, depleting, recharging. Like a hydroelectric dam on the so-called quantum scale, subatomic scale electrical engineering. Uh, I don't like the word quantum. I don't either. I think it's used as an esoteric cop-out now, like magic or or God. Uh, anything mysterious, just... Th- just throw in the word quantum and you could sell your products for for more and it's just <laughs> right ridiculous thing.
0: yeah man this conversation ex- is exactly why i wanted to have you on here today so um let's see yeah mainstream science physics tells us that perpetual motion is impossible yet i'm watching our planet consistent consistently spin and fly and you know our cosmos is always in motion motion is a constant it's continuous so we talked thermodynamics. Now let's touch on the theories of relativity. I, I guess mainstream science loves to ponder this idea of time being a fourth dimension or space-time curving or all these sort of abstract ideas that I, I think are figments of imagination and not really applicable to real world. So touch on that. Am I right or wrong?
1: Correct. That is correct. Uh, going back one step uh, Perpetual motion does not exist. Although you can get something to probably work for millions and billions of years, but eventually it's gonna blow up. The universe doesn't even last forever, so nothing is forever, perpetual, eternal, or boundless. So mm-hmm. there is technicalities there. No, perpetual motion is not real, but you can get something going for a long time. Gotcha. You- so, uh, uh, what, what was the uh relativity? Yeah, the relativity thing. Uh, so. Relativity was originally to act as patchwork for classical physics that could not yield the correct predictions and solutions of complex scenarios like the perihelion of Mercury or binary star systems. So Einstein stole a uh, famous equation from a man named Paul Gerber 17 years before E equals MC squared was actually uh, popularized. And uh, it was derived under classical physics assumptions that the velocity of light is dependent upon the velocity of the light source. Einstein quoted saying, if the velocity of light is dependent, is even a tiny bit dependent upon the velocity of the light source, then my entire theory of relativity and gravitation is false. So uh, relativity abides by the mathematical framework of Lorentz transformations. Which by consequence says there is a fourth dimension, that there is space-time curvature, that gravity is not a force, that time dilates, and that mass increases with acceleration. Those are mathematical consequences of that model. And for 100 years, that was the only method that could correctly yield the predictions and solutions of the perihelion of Mercury and all these other complex problems. So the world has been brainwashed into thinking that relativity is valid because they take math as being the end-all, be-all validator to a scenario. But you can derive equations for how Santa's reindeer fly because of an infinite accumulation of dark matter underneath their hooves, which infinitely curves space-time, which infinitely makes it uh, so that Santa can deliver the presence all in one night. You can derive equations under Lorentz transformations to prove, mathematically prove that scenario. But that hypothetical scenario doesn't actually exist in reality. So people have mistaken the uh, difference between evidence and proof. Every article you see... A new experiment proves relativity again. Proof is math. Experiments do not provide math. Experiments provide evidence. You can then interpret that evidence using a particular mathematical framework, and then you have to suffer the consequences of that framework. Relativity says there's space-time curvature, fourth dimensions, it's not real. Galilean transformations under classical physics was reformulated by this man named Dr. Edward Dowdy in 1991 with his book called the extinction shift principle uh and in that he derives equations that can now 100 years later for the first time solve the perihelion of mercury using only classical physics and elementary math within 3d euclidean space not needing any fourth dimensions or relativistic procedures uh and this man's life work, he used to work for NASA. He was an engineer. He helped build satellites and laser systems to detect the polarized caps, uh, Venus atmosphere, uh, microwaves deflecting from quasars. Uh, he discovered that the relativity interpretation is completely wrong, it violates actual observations. And when you take a closer look, the classical physics absolutely dismantles relativity and every claim and experiment that they have said is attributed to relativity. So this Galilean transformations is extremely important and can yield the same predictions and solutions, but in an easier manner. So we don't need those things. Special relativity is said to only take place at above 0.9% the speed of light, but that's never been experimentally achieved. So it's all assumptions. They derive that because of Doppler shift theory, thinking that the same wave packets are distorted within the same frame of reference, but it's the exact opposite. Time remains constant while the velocity of packets shifts in different frames of reference. The illusion is that the electrons making up each observer will absorb that incoming primary packet, that whatever light it is, whatever electromagnetic radiation, at whatever speed it's coming at you, your electrons will absorb that and then re-emit that secondary light, a brand new light, a brand new electromagnetic radiation as an equal and opposite reaction. And that new re-emission is traveling relative to the electrons making up yourself. So all observers, all detectors, all sensors can only measure the re-emitted light from the electrons making up themselves, which serves the illusion that the velocity is the same to everyone in all frames of reference. It's an illusion. So if the velocity of light is even a tiny bit dependent upon the velocity of the light source, then my entire theory of relativity and gravitation is false. It turns out light, is dependent upon the velocity of the light source. So if you're holding the flashlight and I'm moving towards you, the light from that particular source is traveling faster than 186,272 miles a second coming out of that flashlight at the speed of light. But now you have to account for the speed of the flashlight moving towards you as well. But by the time that light reaches you, your electrons absorb it and then re-emit it. And then you only detect the re-emission, which serves the illusion that the same light came in, bounced off within the same frame of reference. It's not. So there's a different way of looking at these entire scenarios, which dismantle time dilation, because that's the illusion of atomic clocks. Einstein made the mistake of saying, let's define time by what clocks measure. So if two clocks measure two different tick rates, According to Einstein, that means reality itself is being experienced subjectively between those two points. But really, the like in an atomic clock, they judge that by the decay of cesium atoms and other decay rates of atoms, which they take as being the same regardless. But with different altitudes and different gravitational potential gradients, you have the decay of those atoms at different rates. So this decay rate above here altitude is slower than the one at sea level. Therefore, they're judging time itself as being indicative of what the clocks register. But it's not. That's just a clock. A clock and time are two different things. The clocks can switch around depending on gravitational influence, but that's not representative of reality itself dilating. So the entire concept of time dilation is invalid, even though you can see apparently the difference in clocks at different locations but clocks aren't reality itself. So reality does not dilate. And for every claim made for relativity, it can be dismantled using this other alternative, which yields the same predictions and solutions without need for relativity.
0: Mainstream science, assumptions based on assumptions, based on assumptions, rooted in math and abstractions and not really in experience or observation. So thank you for that explanation. Appreciate that. So- Moving forward in the conversation now, you mentioned Tesla earlier. So Tesla, very popular, but I don't think I think a lot of Tesla's ideas are sort of misunderstood by a lot of his followers, honestly. And um, what are your thoughts on Nikola Tesla and the sciences he was working on?
1: Firstly, I want to clear up a misconception about Nikola Tesla that's pervaded the Internet for years. Please do. Nikola Tesla never said anything about three, six, nine. There is no quote. There is no source for that alleged statement. It's an internet myth. And I have challenged people for over 10 years to provide the source of the original quote for Nikola Tesla saying anything about three, six, nine. He said, you know, uh, harmony, uh, vibration and, uh, is the key and, and, vi- and, and Harmony and Resonance, but nothing about 369 in particular. I've looked through all his Colorado Springs notes, interviews, all publicly available material. It doesn't exist. So there's that. All right. Nikola Tesla was one of the most brilliant minds who actually achieved uh, what was in his mind. He worked out everything that was in his mind first, everything that he conceived and actually attempted to build worked 100% of the time. It's amazing. It's like he had a 3D CAD pro program design in his head. Uh, the NPCs can't do that. Nah, they got aphantasia, not <laughs> uh, He, But I disagree with the entire premise of the ether. Uh, I don't believe it exists anymore. I think the ether, like the word quantum, is an esoteric cop-out to try and dismiss talking about particle physics on models smaller than what Max Planck's models would allow uh and also the quantum theory saying there are no particles during uh, get down a certain way it's just all energy and bundles of strings and it's just it's nonsense quantum quackery so i think there are gases that pervade space and there are elements like what walter russell from 1926 showed in his periodic chart from his book called a new concept of the universe, yeah. which he has a spiral periodic chart, an aerial view and a side view. And in that he shows about 24 elements before hydrogen that modern science doesn't recognize. So what they think might be empty space between the planets might just be extremely thin, rarefied gases that just cannot be, uh, Uh, interfered with as we know it right now unless you have like high frequency impacts which might be able to affect it like a non-Newtonian fluid or something if there is a medium between planets at all but that's where i think the space-time curvature might have uh, and the luminiferous ether might have been mistaken because relativity is just ether in 4d they couldn't determine the ether with the infertometer experiments with Michelson-Morley. Uh, Michelson went to his death absolutely despising relativity and convinced that there was an ether. Uh, the people who think that they supported relativity, they might not have at all. But the, again, they misinterpreted the experiments of those fringe patterns because the electrons making up that experiment are absorbing the incoming wavelengths and re-emitting it relative to its own uh self so you're not going to be able to get moving fringes like they expected or getting the results like they expected due to the re-emissions of the electrons making up itself so they assumed that there was no ether and nothing to see there uh so they just pretty much pre-packaged is repackaged that all as relativity and added a fourth dimension to it since they couldn't do it with the ether so i'm thinking that there well according to uh, first of all i'm thinking that there is no ether and according to dr dowdy's work ether is not even needed that is a consequence of lorentz transformations again that mathematical framework is an artifice it's not needed on paper it works but in reality things work a little bit different so only using 3d euclidean space no ether needed no fourth dimension this man discovered a way to yield the correct predictions and solutions as everything else is relativity, but without the ether, without... But Nikola Tesla was correct in saying that energy could be transmitted through the earth. Most people think it's transmitted through the air wirelessly, wireless through the crust of the earth. He wanted to resonate the earth like a bell so that substations anywhere on that earth can plug into that and receive that signal without losses. And then maybe even beam that from satellites like a laser through some like electric laser that we haven't developed yet uh, to power cars that would be like remote controlled, but, but with lasers. So a Nikola test, absolutely brilliant, but I just do not subscribe to the ether anymore. I think there are uh, better even, – even the Greeks, they considered ether like plasma, which we know is like the fourth state of matter now. So we uh, – Uh, every time that we find out more information with more technology, the less ether is attributed to those things and we can actually assign real variables. So the less, less ether plays any role. So ether is just an undefinable variable that you can toss things under the rug, like quantum or ether. It doesn't, there's always a better explanation. Interesting.
0: And weren't, Weren't Nikola Tesla and Walter Russell familiar with each other? Walter Russell gave Nikola Tesla his book and Tesla said, basically, you know, lock this book up for a thousand years because humanity is not ready for it or something like that.
1: Exactly. That was the a new concept of the universe from 1926. Yeah, uh, Walter Russell had a bunch of wonderful information, but I don't agree with, uh, he thought the sun was a ball of gas still because they didn't know about liquid metallic hydrogen uh, back then that was proposed around 1935 and then just validated in 2018 and now revalidated in 2020 so that's uh that's a big one so walter Russell didn't have all the answers but i mean he discovered i think deuterium and uh and a lot of other absolutely phenomenal concepts that uh, that should be re-looked at because he was Seriously brilliant. And again, that quote from Nikola Tesla to Russell, yeah, lock this up for a thousand years till humanity's ready. That's uh that should say something.
0: And that one's a real quote, right? Not one of the fake ones like three six
1: nine. Haven't looked into no three six nine, damn you fine. But I think <laughs> that's a real quote. Uh I have not looked as diligently into that, but I do I take that as valid for now, innocent until till proven guilty on that one.
0: Yeah, Walter Russell's work yeah. it's so it's so tough to read because he almost he's almost like a poet. And he's using such different language, such different terminologies for a lot of the things he discusses, like God and light and these different ideas.
1: Oh, yeah. So he, uh, uh, one quote is like a poet cannot be found within the words of his poem, and like a painter cannot be found within the brushstrokes of his canvas. Just like how the mind of God might not be able to be found within the universe that he created so like life is but a dream but the creator might not be within the dream that he created We're just figments of that dreamers within a dream be able to create our own with and have figments within our dream that possibly have dreams and the more that we evolve the more that uh, everything can grow and have knowledge on their own scale
0: yeah mind-bending i need to get back into reading walter russell's work again so okay now let's get into now let's get into talking about some of these devices, talking about the SEG. But um, ha- before we talk about the SEG device, are there any other ones that really pique your interest that you've come yeah, across uh, over the years?
1: Well, uh, I think Sa- the Sapphire project is something noteworthy to look into. Uh, that would deal with nuclear remediation, power generation, and heat generation, $3 trillion industries, Uh so what they do is they were trying to validate the atmosphere and surface of the sun and a different model of the sun rather than a ball of gas model. It's actually made of condensed matter, and they use a tungsten spherical electrode that is powered with high voltage inside of a, uh, a vacuum chamber. And this thing, no Photoshop needed, this thing glows like a star and it produces heat just above the surface of that electrode equal to the heat of a star. Uh, but that heat is trapped in the atmosphere in this magnetic field around it. So it doesn't melt the walls of the chamber. It doesn't melt the electrode. The heat's somehow trapped through what's called Alfvén waves, like the Nobel laureate Hannes alphin, magnetohydrodynamics. So above the sun, there is this point where the heat is uh you know allegedly trapped and it transmutes all these elements from uh to higher heavier elements not necessarily within the sun itself and this process and project can not only validate that but can generate energy and heat and uh, remediate nuclear material within that thin area where it's extremely hot like nuclear materials just lose their radioactivity and transmute into other elements so i think that is something to look at for sure uh I think the water car and the hydrogen technologies are still applicable, but we need to do a lot more work on that.
0: Oh, yeah, and the I, Stan Meyer oh, car and others. Okay. There it is. Yeah. Yeah, I have some other projects
1: here. Yeah. Alternative energy solutions, so what other things might be cool?
0: I see uh, robotai on there. Yeah, There's exactly. your SEG.
1: We got, we got some other stuff. The uh rotating superconductors of Dr. Eugene Podklednov. The uh, uh, resonant nuclear battery from Dr. Paul Brown. So what he did is he found that like a half-life of material, if it has a 10,000-year half-life, they usually want to bury that. He figured out a way to turn that into a battery. So if it has a 10,000-year half-life, you have a 10,000-year battery at a constant. Current nuclear theory says you could only extract 0.063 watts of power from one gram of strontium-90. Strontium-90 has a half-life of 28 years. Dr. Brown found a way to extract 7,500 watts from that same gram of strontium-90, 100,000 times more energy than what nuclear theory says is possible. He was killed just before his company, New went on the stock market. And there's a book called The Half-Life of a Nuclear Battery written by Philip Talbert. He was a, he was a real jerk. He tried taking over the SEG company. Hmm. And tried getting John Searle to sign his rights away so that they could take all of the equipment and bring it to Florida to start their own endeavors because they thought they had a better way because Dr. Paul Brown developed his own SEG trying to study John Searle and Philip Talbert and these other guys were there witnessing this when he tested it. It was a strontium-90 neodymium alloy, and he had this thing. He started it up. And they said it created over a megawatt of energy until it started glowing, melted the 10-gauge copper wires that were connecting it, and they couldn't stop it, and it was burning up, almost brought down their lab. So they took that as validation that, holy crap, John Searle has something here. So Dr. Paul Brown sent 13 different letters trying to communicate with John Searle around 1986, but that was also the time that John Searle got all of his stuff stolen from him from the electric company because he... uh, He worked for the electric company. He developed this technology with them. He was using it at his home to power his home, unbeknownst to the electric company. The electric company considered it was their property since he built it on their company property with on company time using company resources while he was working there. So they said, this device is ours and all electricity that generated by it is considered ours. So if you're powering your house with this electricity, you're stealing our electricity. So they- got into his house. They took it out of his wall where he had it plastered in. And there was a big debacle. They took him to court claiming that he was stealing electricity. The judge demanded the electric company bring in this device. They claimed they confiscated. Electric company was not cooperative. Judge dismissed the case. Ever since then, John Searle had been trying to rebuild his technology and make outlandish claims that he was having is powering his home and flying devices and all this. So to give the justification, he's been trying to Uh, do that ever since so a man named paul brown uh was studying this unto unto himself and was successful up to a point tried communicating with it john searle wouldn't have any of it because he was just you know thought everybody was trying to steal from him and robin for the rest of his life and uh so this guy could take this nuclear material and convert it to electricity on demand john searle's technology can do that across the entire electromagnetic spectrum just with, with what's around us, not needing a, a housed nuclear material to extract its uh, alpha and beta uh, decay. So this guy on this side, uh, Mark LeClaire, he discovered cavitation and cavitation equations and solved a hundred year old problem that apparently it's very difficult to account for cavitation and its processes. He solved that. He and his partner, created this cavitation device which is like bubbles you know the bubble when you turn on your faucet It and... is that related to sonoluminescence yes that's exactly what it is but cavitation in a controlled manner happening so fast it produces light that's sonoluminescence mm-hmm. so what he did is he got some uh 250 bucks for 250 from parts at home depot and some ultrasonic transducers and some other technical equipment but mainly parts from home depot he put this together and created a uh, cavitation device where he just cycled water through it it generated nuclear radiation to the point where they he and his partner lost their hair got radiation sickness for over a year and almost died just from cycling water and on this uh this mesh it's like a, a a sheet metal with holes in it and then you roll it up and then you put that inside of a tube, and then you force water inside of the sheet, and it goes through the holes, and it comes out the tube. While it does so, apparently, you get bad news. So uh, that would make uh, Victor Schauberger proud, <laughs> or or scared. Yeah, right. So, but it what they did is uh, it also formed diamonds carbon and crystalline diamonds on the surface of the aluminum rolled up sheet and he has pictures and uh chemical spectral analysis of all this stuff like we're talking heavy science here validated documented and repeatable uh so wild claims though that you know just from cycling water you can get nuclear radiation to the point where you're you can damage your neighbors and like nasty stuff like don't do this right yeah so uh but if this guy can convert nuclear radiation to electricity and this guy can create nuclear radiation from water why would we need these refined uranium and all these refined uh nuclear materials when you, you can just cycle water and you can do that that way so that might be another uh claim to scrutinize and uh, but that would require a billion dollars in licensing and stuff cuz you're dealing with nuclear stuff you need lead and bricks and
0: uh, tell you what, Elon Musk calling his company Tesla, but then using these archaic lithium-ion batteries that are horribly inefficient. Meanwhile, we could be having cars that run on water or these kinds of inventors making much more advanced setups that could run and power a car for much longer and much more efficiently. Uh, come on, Elon.
1: But, uh, yeah, so these technologies could make Elon a partner or a customer. Either one. Pick one, Elon. Come on. You want to partner up? Let's do this. Yeah. Uh, but from what I understand, I've seen articles. There was one from Gizmodo uh, a, a while ago, and it's, I think the title was, Elon Musk is sick of inventors pitching him the next big thing in batteries. And Elon Musk is afflicted just like how Thomas Edison was afflicted. And it's like, uh, I can understand you have lofty claims coming to your door of people with new batteries. Hey, I can make it better. I can make it better. And you just waste and spend your money and time trying to validate or invalidate people's claims. So you got to pick something, stick with it and just do it. So I understand that business part of it, but we've had people come to the table who are interested in uh, promoting and uh, supporting our technology, the SEG. And they said that, They had associates sit down with Elon Musk with claims that they have a power cell or something that can increase the charge by three to eight times for a Tesla and that it was tested on racetracks. Everybody loved it. But that when it went up the chain of command, people weren't interested because they had already signed contracts for the next 20 years with rockets and batteries. So, like, how is this going to make us more money than what we're already committed to? So, like. Good we're, luck, so ob-
0: we're, so obste- we're so obsessed as a society with explosions, things that go boom, jet fuel. But if you just opposite that and look at implosion, look at things like impellers instead of propellers or this cavitation you were describing or these sorts of technologies that work with bringing energy in, I, I think that's where real advancement lies. Well, he- exactly. And if you are to compare an
1: imploding cavitation bubble with uh a nuclear explosion but put that nuclear explosion footage in reverse and now look at a cavitation bubble when it collapses it's like on the macro scale you're seeing a cavitation bubble uh but like or you're seeing a cavitation bubble in reverse on the macro scale and you're seeing a nuclear explosion uh in forward and the the micro scale, a cavitation bubble, if it is symmetrical in its collapse. So a cavitation bubble is really superheated steam. And that steam expands in the water up to a point at which point the energy dissipates and the weight of the water, and then it will cool and then recombine. And then it becomes liquid water again, like where'd the bubble go? And it creates a shockwave as it does that because it's superheated steam, just steam back to water. But If that collapses against the surface of something, it creates an asymmetric collapse and what's called a cavitation jet. And that's where you get the nasty pock marks on the propeller blades, on tuna fins and dolphin fins, and you get the destruction of materials due to cavitation because it's equal to the energy of the sun.
0: What's that that water creature, that lobster or something that creates cavitation with its
1: the pistol shrimp and the mantis. That's right.
0: Yeah. And that's
1: what it does. Uh, it knocks things out with a shockwave through superheated steam and cavitation. It is devastating in a controlled way. So uh, Mark LeClaire figured out a way to do that in a controlled manner, which for 100 years was completely random and people couldn't figure out how to do that. So that's cool. like very noteworthy.
0: There's so much out there. There's so many inventors and ideas and things that have just been lost to the economic complex, lost to people ignoring it, lost to people not understanding it. It's quite quite sad and disappointing, but it's also hopeful because of how much potential there is out there for things like this to come out and society to advance. So to, to finish up this chat, let's dive into the SEG device. We've kind of touched on it here and there throughout this talk, but what what are the, I don't even know how to begin this, this part of the chat, but one thing I guess that's on my mind is what are the potentials there? Energy yeah. generation, but is there also, I've heard this kind of in rumblings on the internet, but you're probably the best source to ask this. Is there propulsion also available with the SCG device?
1: repulsion like uh, propulsion
0: propulsion yes
1: uh that is, there's two modes to the technology there's energy generating mode and then there is the alleged gravitational anomaly mode the energy generation mode is above superconducting levels uh the anomalies is below superconducting levels below critical point so the advantages to the technology is like okay well what can you do with something you can plug into your wall socket uh what how many things can you plug into your wall socket right so yeah. this would rather than have to uh attack attached to the grid or uh, a standalone generator this would be your generator rather than having conventional fuel like gasoline it would harvest the radiation and energy that we take for granted all around us as brownie in motion on the atomic scale and it would convert that to a wave And that wave correlates with the magnetization imprinted on these rings, which then repeat as an emergent AC subcarrier when in rotation, in addition to flipping poles north and south. So you have this resonance like a tuning fork with the internal kinetic energy of electrons. So it absorbs the energy in different wavelengths other than the one wavelength it is operating on acting as like an electron sink due to its rest state of coherence because it's made in such a uh ordered manner that when in operation it will reap that order at a constant again so normally the universe is incoherent wants to uh seek to uh disorder everything so if you have something ordered then the rest of that incoherent universe will sort of push to it in an attempt to corrupt it but if it is made in such a manner as to retain its order then you're going to have this equilibrium of a flow in one direction so you have these materials neodymium not ndfeb not magnets neodymium based magnets just pure element 60 raw element 60 neodymium that is the core the the, uh, the valence electron in the current model, the atomic model, you have this extra electron on the outer orbit of that, that is easily stripped on that atom. So the reservoir of neodymium acts like a water reservoir of a hydroelectric dam. Then you have Teflon, a dielectric to regulate it, acting as the wall. And then you have the magnets, which have the waveform, which then guide the electrons to flow in a wave and accelerate them. And then you have copper, which is the emitter, which then jettisons the electrons at high velocity into awaiting pickup coils. So you have this open system effect where energy is absorbed in three dimensions like static, and then it is given direction. And by doing so, you deplete that kinetic energy of the electrons. It's made for useful work to turn those orbiting rollers, which then emit electrons in pairs like Cooper pairs. And then when those split, they deplete and then they negatively charged electrons migrate to that positively charged neodymium core again, and the cycle repeats. So as long as there is energy around to convert, you will have a system that can meet the demands up to a certain point. The amount of mass in the system will determine the amount of energy that it can harvest and output. So, the bigger you're going to have to build it if you want more power. The smallest device that we are working on now is about three feet in diameter, standing four inches tall and would deliver about 15 kilowatts, weighing 180 pounds. So the energy ratio is about 90 watts per pound, but it must be a certain size because you're following specific math and geometry. So you can use the technology like in an electric car where it is constantly charging an existing battery. So you never need to plug in to charge or you can replace the existing batteries altogether, but you will need to like uh, swap that out with an equally heavy and massive SEG unit that would be underneath the car. So uh, you can either constantly charge uh, existing battery or replace them all together and up the mass. Uh, so that is the. Uh,
0: explanation or theory behind how that works so that 180 pound three foot wide four inch high device that you guys are working on you said how many kilowatts could it output Uh, 15 kilowatts that's fifteen
1: thousand watts at a constant and then there would be a limiter on that
0: how and how much could that power essentially like one home how many homes
1: so one american home probably at peak if you have your 10 000 watts let's say 10 kilowatts at peak you got your uh your vacuum cleaner on you're running your laundry you got your stereo blasted you got everything all your appliances on in your house jacuzzi everything and then when you're turning off and on your vacuum cleaner you got spikes of energy so that's about 10,000, 12,000 watts, 10 to 12 kilowatts. So this 15 kilowatt unit would be more than enough to handle all of the needs and account for any spikes. So you wouldn't have to be attached to the grid. You would have a standalone unit that wouldn't be at risk of blackouts and could handle all of the needs.
0: A couple of questions. Um, how easy would it to be to take basically this setup, this 180-pound device outputting 15 kilowatts. How easy would that be to retrofit to a home? Is it something as easy as plugging into a generator port or I mean, how, how difficult be, is it? Uh,
1: professionally installed to uh, at the panel of the house to bypass the incoming electricity from the grid or, and, or you could connect it to the grid, like how you have solar panels connect on grid uh, solar panels so the more energy that you generate the more that you can sell and give back to the grid to alleviate the strain they'll only give you a certain amount of money back you know there's a cap on that right. but uh you can alleviate the strain of the grid by giving back rather than taking so you give more than you than you receive wouldn't that be so
0: it requires professional expertise of course i'm not going to try to hook it on myself oh, i don't know much be, about uh, electrical engineering but it's
1: doable future. Yeah, that would be part of the service that a uh, company would come out and install it and uh, and it would be installed in the home and you wouldn't have to worry about it. And if you touch it, you void your warranty. <laughs> so don't, yeah, so there, there'd be safeties on that uh, to, to maximize its efficiency.
0: Second question is an SCG device, is it susceptible to EMPs?
1: No, it would just consider it more fuel.
0: They all Beautiful, because I'm I'm thinking like, I'm thinking, okay, I'm prepping for some impending giant solar flare. So <laughs> solar flare would, of course, knock out... Carrington event or Tuskegee disaster, something. Right, some sort of Carrington event or, or solar micronova, cyclical earth catastrophe, whatever, right? So, which would knock out a shitload of our current infrastructure, chips and electronic control units and Tesla cars and computers and all that stuff. So I'm thinking, like, I want a device that would be able to withstand an EMP either from a foreign country, deep state, or sun. Yeah, well,
1: well, as a blessing for that, you know, all the back doors that they put on the chips would be fried. <laughs> yeah, so they wouldn't be able to get into there anymore. But, uh, yeah, that wouldn't be cool. But this technology would just eat it up, literally, as fuel. Uh, it wouldn't wouldn't bother it. So there's more
0: electrons coming in to be able to power the device and
1: consider it. Yeah. More because it's just harvesting electrons at different randomized, uh, wavelengths and then converting it to its own operating frequency. So if you have an EMP trying to disturb it, it's just like, thanks more. Yeah. More. So yeah, I put it out in the, put it out in space. Uh, you need to build it bigger because there is less energy available to harvest since you are away from sources of radiation like the earth which can recharge everything if it's just uh solar energy in the uh, in between planets then you're gonna have to build it a lot more massive in order to harvest the same amount so that's you know so
0: you said the smallest device you guys are working on three feet by four inches 180 pounds what's the biggest size that you guys have kind of Dreamed up on paper or are working on.
1: So this is uh the same device is just scaled up. You have three concentric rings of orbiting rollers and stators, and the inner moat. They're actually three segs, uh, in in one. So they're acting as a three stage transformer. The inner one uh, absorbs from the environment and then feeds the the inner uh, reservoir to the second, which then uh, feeds the reservoir of the third and then emits that into a waiting pickup coil. So it's acting as a three-stage transformer. You could use just the center one with 12 orbiting rollers to charge batteries, or you could just build that 12 orbiting rollers very big, or you can have three rings, or you can, it's just that John Searle said the three ring setup is the most cost-effective and efficient for the returns and for the manufacturing. You could do five rings, eight rings, but then you'd have to make new machines to handle making those larger rings. It's not practical for commercial purposes. So a three-ring device, three feet wide, four inches tall, 15 kilowatts, and then you could stack them and it's additive. Mm-hmm. 15 kilowatts, 30 kilowatts, 45. Uh, it's not multiple, it's additive. So, or you could just scale up the mass at which point it would... The additive as well uh yeah there's uh there's math to it and there's geometry and very specifics and thermodynamics you have to abide by
0: so. yeah yeah difficult so. but
1: doable which is yeah. the most in, important uh, part in inconvenient is not insurmountable so we yeah. can we can do stuff no problem
0: so what about the uh supposed propulsion that is possible with this device is it possible and how does that work
1: yes so that is to be studied uh, there are theories and there are potential explanations and hypotheses for that. Uh, the claim with gets controversial. So there's two modes above superconducting and below superconducting above superconducting. You can use it as a power device to power things practically below superconducting. It wants to fly away like the Earth's magnetic field will repel it up and away. Uh, magnets and superconductors repel. And you've seen these people pour liquid nitrogen on superconductors and it makes the magnet levitate or the superconductor. It's called the Meissner effect when it actually lifts off the surface or they can have it stationary there and they keep it there and it stays. That's called flux pinning where the magnetic field is trapped in imperfections of the superconductor or the substrate and it's locked in place. So the earth is a giant magnet. So what happens if you create a superconducting field to compete with that? it's going to be repelled up and away that's part of the theory in addition to other electrostatic repulsion that you have around the rim of a uap or ufo they're emitting charges uh, and currents that could compete with existing not just the magnetic field but the electrostatic field and the gravitational field
0: and this is a la t townsend brown's work dealing with electrogravitics.
1: Correct. Uh, But I think there's a lot more to it. And I personally don't think that gravity is electric. It's what, well, what? Electric universe theory? Yeah, it's still, I think it's an illusion. I think light and gravity is absorbed and emitted by electrons, but light and gravity is neutral. The very definition of electricity is electrons. So stuff that comes from electricity is not electricity itself though so there is no direct interaction between electromagnetism and gravitation it's only indirect so even if you're seeing uap ufos and flying saucers discharging electricity and having coronal discharge glowing and stuff it's a false impression that the gravity is directly linked to the electricity or the high voltage there if the more electrons present the more potential for gravity for you to absorb and re-emit. But if you're trying to test for gravity, you're not going to be able to because you're absorbing the incoming gravity and re-emitting it dependent upon the electrons making up yourself. And you don't have enough to measure your own field. So there is like impossible to measure any alleged emissions of gravity or gravitons because you're just measuring the emissions, re-emissions from yourself. And that's not enough. No matter what you do, there's no physical means to do that. Uh, same with the velocity of light. Every time you try, it just re-emits. So uh, superconductors and superconducting fields lead to strange anomalies. And with rotating superconductors like Dr. Eugene Podklednov validates a lot of John Searle's claims in that regard. So you're absorbing energy in three dimensions, but you're only outputting that energy in two dimensions, like a flat sheet, like Saturn's rings. So the energy can come in from all directions, but it's restricted to flow in two dimensions. So now you have an entire orthogonal axis of energy restricted to flow and combine and compress with another dimension of energy, three dimensions, no extra dimension. It's just one of the dimensions. Now you only have two dimensions of where the energy can possibly go so now you have more energy on one plane like a laser beam so you're drawing in energy in three dimensions and outputting it in two dimensions so you're drawing in new electrons as old ones leave but what happens if you draw in more electrons faster than they can leave uh that's where you get the gravitational anomalies nuclear meltdowns are the opposite there are more and more and more electrons leaving at an accelerated rate. So things get hot, they heat up, and they bog down and fail. And then you get radiation and you get fallout. But what happens if you gain more electrons than you lose at a faster rate? You remediate nuclear radiation. It goes away. You can transmute things. It purifies the air. It it depletes the... Uh, uh, the nastiness from everything and, and restores the biosphere. So, and it also can generate gravitational anomalies. So this device, if you're trying, if it's rated for 15 kilowatts at this particular size and mass, and you try to draw more energy than it can possibly do, it will try to draw in so many electrons. The temperature will drop, 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 drop until it goes critical, becomes super conductive lifted off of the table which John Searle was trying to experiment initially. He just wanted to power his house. Nobody taught him this isn't supposed to happen. So he drew in too many electrons. The thing lifted off of his table to his ceiling and wanted to fly away. So he eventually said, okay, this thing wants to fly. I can't use this as a generator. Every time I try to power my house with this thing, it wants to fly away. Like, how do I keep it under the threshold to be able to use this thing? So he built a body around it, an 11 foot, Disc shaped body and was remote controlling this levity disc in 1968 in the town of Warminster in England. Scared the crap out of the town. They had documentaries on this thing, they called it the Warminster thing. They thought it was aliens, this crackling superconducting, like didn't sound like a helicopter. There was no jet engines, it was just this silent buzzing disc. Cops saw it. They tried chasing it. They took reports on it. News reporters saw it. And it was John Searle doing these experiments in the 60s, trying to gain control of this technology. And uh, all of that was was destroyed and confiscated and used for scrap. And ever since then, he's been trying to revalidate his claims. Some crazy old man. Okay, buddy, you flew this thing around, powered your house. Show something for it. <laughs> we want to support you and give you some money to help you out. But like, bro, you gotta like, you gotta give us something here. You can't I just gotta get fun. me one of these, man. So, oh, so Fernando Morris learned about that's who's my boss, and uh, he's the one who started the SEG company. I'm like Igor. He's like Doctor Frankenstein. I'm just the one in the lab <laughs> helping him out. Like,
0: he's the real yeah. So, um fascinating conversation. I'm doing my best to keep up with all your fancy shines right. talk, but it's it's great. I love it. Um, So yeah, kind of the last thing I want to ask you, where, what is SEG Magnetics Inc.? That's the name of the company, right?
1: Yes, it's a Searle Effect Generator, uh, SEG Magnetics Incorporated, and we have segmagnetics.com. Uh, uh, it's just a, a site where potential investors can see the claims and potentially invest if they feel that the technology could be a benefit anytime in the future. So what are you
0: guys, what are you guys up to now? And what do you have in the future?
1: The, uh, the, the only problem is that only accredited investors can financially contribute because of the way we are structured since, uh, it just was not working before the average people don't seem to care, even though you can do interviews and stuff. It's like, it's, you know, nickel and diming people for donations is not the way to do it. You need some, big funding, and some serious help if you really want to do something in life. Not just $5 here. No, nah, sorry. So no donations for this project. None. Only accredited investors can purchase shares in it to financially contribute. But the only people who have ever done so, they've all knocked on our door, or made phone calls to offer their help. Trying to do interviews and tell people about this stuff, it's great. Great for promotion. But when it comes to actually facilitating business proposals to try to get this off the ground, literally, <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's futile because the real world needs real evidence. And that's what the basis of our whole program is about, is uh, validating this man's claims in a real world environment and producing the electron emissions to power a damn light bulb like everybody wants to see. But that's a $3 million program. $3 million in order to make a light bulb glow on a small scale to justify larger funding. And everybody says, once you do it, then we'll give you the funding. <laughs> so once you achieve your final goal, then we'll support you. Yeah. But it it takes uh Once a- you
0: do yeah. the thing that you need funding to do, then we'll give you the funding that you did the thing for. Yeah, once you bake me a
1: cake, then I'll give you the kitchen and ingredients and the flames and the pots and pans that you need to bake the cake. But you know, once you do that, if I could do that, I wouldn't need you. Yeah. So who's going to be a partner now? Unless you're going to be a customer later.
0: Are you guys in talks with any
1: accredited investors? or, or? Yeah, We have over 70 uh, shareholders who have financially contributed since 2010, over a million and a half dollars since 2010, in piecemeal, enough to get this project to what it is now. But short of the lump sum that we require in order to really uh, push it over the hurdle and, and get this thing uh, in a timely manner otherwise it's working at a snail's pace turtle's pace and doing what we can moving forward regardless but we want to hire some personnel engineers and expedite this and and like let's it's 2024 i mean come on
0: about time man yeah about time we got shit hitting the fan in this world right now and you know impending (laughs) carrington event maybe possibly uh we need to get this going no this world is a this world is a little
1: honka honka you know
0: yeah, a little weird. A little weird on clown world here. But I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing. I wish you great success. Are there any last things you want to plug or mention or promote here or say? Feel free.
1: Well, uh, go to uh, tinyurl.com slash 23PNNKSS. That is a... Uh, document i put together with uh uh credible challenges to the relativity to the black holes to the dark matter to big bangs
0: to the uh that everything. might have been the pdf i was here. checking through a few weeks ago i'll make sure that's linked down below so people don't have to remember that i'll make sure it's linked yeah, it's kind hard. <laughs>
1: <to>. <laughs> but that's uh that's it and then just wanted to thank the audience for giving me the chance to talk crazy and uh and scrutinize the the heret their heretical talk because yeah, i could be pedantic on on the internet, I know. Hey, man, it's the on. crazy
0: the crazy talk is what we love here, bro. All right,
1: All right but yeah, it's necessary. I'm going to be a thorn in your side for the next 40, 50 years. <laughs> Deal with me, hey.
0: Awesome, man. Keep going. Thank you, Jason. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful
1: day. Yeah, take care.